Fascia is an absolutely amazing system. Years ago, most people didn't know what fascia was. Where today, if you're in the health, wellness, and fitness industry, most know what this term means. Hi, my name is Deanna Hansen. I am the founder of Fluid Isometrics and Block Therapy. And my name is Quinn Castellane. I'm the VP of Block Therapy and Deanna's nephew. Welcome to the Fascia Masters podcast. Fascia is the connective tissue that holds our entire body together. The fascia system is involved in every aspect of your health, from pain, size and shape, how you age, athletic performance and recovery, and even managing trauma and emotions. The list goes on. When you learn how to decompress your fascia, you experience incredible changes to every level of your being. The Fascia Masters podcast discusses everything fascia and is dedicated to empowering you with the knowledge you need to become your own self-care advocate. In this episode, we discuss the gut-brain connection and how the conscious diaphragmatic breath is the direct key. Activating this muscle creates heat, energy, and awareness to the gut, ensuring the mobilization of inflammation and pathogens that would otherwise become problematic. So sit back and relax and enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Fashion Masters Podcast. My name is Quinn Castle and I'm the VP of Block Therapy. Of course, we have Deanna Hansen, the founder of Block Therapy. And today we're going to be talking about the gut-brain connection and how that's a communication highway between the two and its relation to fascia. So this is a cool topic. It's a hot topic nowadays as well because a lot of people are saying that the gut is the second brain and there's so much that's going on with the gut that can transfer to our cognitive function, our brain, our anxiety, even our traumas. So we're going to be diving in, talking a lot about this subject. So let's just kick it off. <laughs> All right. So, All right, okay. So the bro- the gut brain connection. So when I was doing a little bit more research on this from the anatomy perspective, so we have our enteric nervous system, which is pretty much in our guts. And then the communication highway is the vagus nerve all the way up to the brain. So how do you see, and I, and this isn't based off of like our research, just on our pretty much discoveries, I'm going to use the word with our community and how people have been benefiting so much by doing fascia decompression. How do you see the brain gut connection communication really working? So the diaphragm is this fantastic muscle that is unique in that it's both under our unconscious and our conscious ability. So it's going to work anyway, right? Like we're born to breathe diaphragmatically, but we already have talked so much about the fact when we're not conscious of this muscle, we end up essentially like freezing that area, especially if there's trauma involved, pain, fear, and stress cause us to reactively hold the breath. So it always is somewhat involved. But again, those muscles of the upper chest are going to become the predominant muscle breathers. So when we're breathing from the muscles of the upper chest, it connects us to a different brain frequency, a fear frequency where we're connected to the past or the future, which isn't real. Mm. It's it's just our ego really connecting to fear and to something from the past or fear of what's coming in the future. When we're connected to that proper diaphragmatic breath, we're connected to the moment. It's a different brain frequency. It connects us to the parasympathetic nervous system. But we have to be conscious. We actually have to use our brain to actively involve mm 
the diaphragm for the breath. So mm. in my view, that is really where this gut-brain connection comes from, because if we are connected to the diaphragmatic breath, we're thinking about it and we're involving both parts. And then if we are breathing diaphragmatically, that's a very different energy that is moving into the abdominal area because, of course, now this plate of muscle is moving up and down, creating a massaging effect, creating movements and mobility to this area, mm. where, again, that upper chest breath, we're literally almost freezing that area out from activity, from that manual movement of that of that belly. And I mean, that impacts absolutely everything that we do. So of course, to the left, we have the stomach organ. So if we're breathing diaphragmatically, when we are focused on eating and chewing properly and swallowing, we're getting this activity to help digest, to help absorb, to help eliminate. The liver, same thing. When we're breathing diaphragmatically, we're getting to heat those fats so they stay in their liquid version so there's mobility of the nutrients and the removal of the toxins and let's just clarify okay. for some people who might not know what the diaphragm is and where it's located yeah. so that's a plate of muscle that's literally designed to help us pull in oxygen to yeah. pull in air into the lungs and it's situated just above our abdominal organs so you just mentioned the stomach the liver we have the pancreas so it's right above but it's also the floor to the heart and the lungs. So when we inhale, it's moving down. And that's where Deanna is mentioning, it will be massaging the abdominal organs as you inhale, as you exhale, it's going to be moving up. Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you think of massage, like that's part of the focus of what we do with massage, we're creating flow. Mm. It creates energy into that area. So just the actual act of this muscle working appropriately, it creates a heating and heat creates energy. Energy is what is required for the cells to function optimally. If there's a lack of energy, then our systems change and we end up becoming sluggish, stagnant, inflammation accumulates. We start attracting other parasites. That affects the microbiome. Mm -hmm. So basically, in my view, everything comes down to how we breathe. Mm -hmm. But we also have to understand that we can't just simply start from where we are in our compressed, collapsed body and activate this muscle fully and completely. We need to deal with those adhesions through mm. the process of fascia decompression to be able to access the fullest potential of what this muscle has to offer. Well, and it's amazing how trapped the diaphragm can become and how compressed our gut and our core is yeah. just from daily life and from stress. Because when we're stressed, we reactively hold the breath and then the diaphragm locks and then we have to revert to the muscles in the upper chest. And it's okay to breathe consciously all the way up to the muscles in the upper chest, as long as you're connecting initially to the diaphragm. So it, it's really cool what you can do with the breath. Because if we're just relaxed right now, yes, the belly will be expanding as you inhale, exhaling, it'll get a little bit smaller. But when I'm becoming more conscious of it and wanting to pull in more air into my lungs or brace my core, I can be utilizing the diaphragm to expand the low ribs the low back ribs, the side ribs, and then travel all the way up to the upper ribs to help create more of that space within the rib cage. Because it's interesting, when we exhale all the time, and let's say we're constantly in a state of exhalation or inhalation, our ribs will internally rotate with that exhalation. When we inhale, they will externally rotate. So it's important that when we're breathing all the time that they're constantly moving and keeping that flow. 
But again, so many people are compressed. They haven't decompressed their core, their rib cage. And it's just like a concrete rib cage, a concrete cage where they can't even utilize this. Well, exactly. And then the more hard it becomes, the denser and heavier it becomes on the diaphragm. So if the, mm -hmm. if the diaphragm hasn't been strengthened through conscious awareness, now this plate of muscle, this foundation becomes weak. So then as everything becomes harder up top, it's like we're just this crumbling building falling into that core space, displacing everything in the abdominal cavity. And if, again, like we've got all this inflammation in through here and that's twisting that whole pathway of the vagus nerve up to the brain, there's going to be confusion. There's going to be, you know, like again, brain fog, lack of memory, like all the things that can happen when we have um, gut issues, they directly will be impacting our brain as well, because there's that direct connection through the breath. Even at our Block Therapy University workshop here in Winnipeg, it was amazing how many people came up to me and said, one of the first things they noticed after doing block therapy or fast decompression and activating the diaphragm was the brain fog went away. It, it's, it's amazing how fast that can work. And people are, including myself, like I like to take natural nootropics to make sure that my brain, like I care so much about brain health. I don't take necessarily supplements now for muscle building or muscle repair as much. I focus so much on the brain. And the one thing that we can do, which could be a natural nootropic is oxygen. It's being able to take out all of the carbon dioxide, all the junk stored in our lungs, even traveling up through the liver. We mentioned that in the previous podcast, and then actually being able to pull the oxygen low enough into the lower part of our lungs to absorb the oxygen optimally. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about the mitochondria and every single cell in the body, it's fed by oxygen. So it's, it's the energy center of each and every cell and oxygen is its fuel. So, I mean, just think about what's happening. Like it's, it's funny too, because the common expression is we're only using 10% of our brain. Mm -hmm. I actually think that we're only breathing 10% of our ability. And that's why only 10% of the brain is getting utilized, same as every other part of the body. If we're literally having that less oxygen coming in through that upper chest breath, which is the state of the majority of the people in the world, then we have so many of our cells that it's kind of like we're just having to carry around mm -hmm. that aren't doing the work to support us being mo like movers in life. Mm -hmm. Like think about like having to carry all this luggage, how it's going to weight you down. Mm -hmm. That's that's what's happening mm -hmm. because really they should be here to support us from the foundation up. And instead, we're almost like having to carry the body. And like, that's the difference. Like if if you can imagine how much energy it takes to try to hold something up from the top as opposed to supporting it from the foundation. Mm. That's what is going on when we're using this upper chest breath. hundred percent. So let's just talk about anxiety a little bit because that's extremely common and prevalent right now. I feel like it's so interesting because when I think of anxiety, when I was a kid, I didn't even know what that term was. But if I were to be eight years old right now in 2013, in 2023, it's like anxiety is, is one of the most common terms. So how do you see anxiety or view anxiety? Because there's even times where I'll have a cheat meal and I feel anxious after. And I'm like, why am I feeling, why, why do I feel like this just from food? But that's that gut brain connection as well. But I want to ask you more so, how do you view anxiety from the perspective of the gut brain connection? 
So when our cells are given everything that they need to function optimally, there should be no sensation that's negative, whether it's pain, anxiety, sadness, depression, like whatever. Mm -hmm. When our cells are not given what they need to thrive, they give us signals. So it might be a pain signal. It might be a signal of anxiety. I see because I used to suffer horribly from anxiety. And I mean, I still have days when I feel anxious as well. But again, I'm aware that there's going to be inflammation in my gut if I'm feeling anxiety because, I mean, we're not always going to be perfect in how we do everything. And so if we, again, like have a weekend, like we just came off of a wedding. So, I mean, you're you're eating differently. People are drinking. We're, we're up late. Like we're not sleeping enough. So your system is overloaded with toxins. Mm-hmm. It's overloaded with um, stress just because everything is so fast paced and you're meeting all these people and and then you're dancing until late in the morning like all of these things are different than what our typical normal healthy structure is mm-hmm. so when we get pulled out of what is our normal habit of you know eating sleeping staying hydrated all of those things the system gives you signals and it lets you know that okay you're feeling anxious because there's inflammation because maybe you didn't sleep enough maybe you overate like whatever it is maybe the, the liver's a little toxic so all of this just basically creates inflammation and until we move that inflammation out of the way, it's kind of acidic. Like, and so like anything in a, an acidic environment creates that. But before you asked me that question, I was thinking about this moment when you were really young and it's, it's just super cool because I remember we were standing on the roof of my parents. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This was so cool because there was a bit of a gap between the garage roof and the house roof. And I mean, you were just a little guy then. I think you might've been eight or nine or something. And, you know, like your dad being six to four or whatever, he was like easily walking from one to the other. So were the adults and you were afraid. You were afraid to jump across because here's this big cavern or like, you know, like below that you were afraid you might fall into. Mm -hmm. And so I remember I stood on both sides of it. I was straddling this edge and I basically just, you know, took your hand and you walked over and then boom, you were jumping back and forth. And I love that because it just so exemplifies how quickly fear can stop us from doing something and how that will create mm-hmm. anxiety because that's what you were feeling. You were getting this sense of, oh my gosh, like I can't do this. I'm going to hurt myself. But once you saw the bridge and you were able to do it, it was gone and you were jumping back and forth, let it a little monkey having so much fun. And in that second, you felt elated. And suddenly mm-hmm. that anxiety likely turned to excitement very quickly because they're both very similar sensations. Big time. Um, sometimes, right? So it's what what we put onto that feeling as well that will create what we do with that. If it's a fear, it freezes. If it's an excitement, it tends to be mobilized and, and move. So as soon as that, if you had that fear and we didn't have that moment for you to make a change, then that would have continued to build up and that could have presented as a fear of heights down the road. Right. So it's just, it's interesting how the body responds, but if we can reset from a moment of fear in that moment, then we don't have to move forward with a traumatic experience that can replay in our minds as something that's not even real. Like I I love using the acronym for fear, false energy acting real, Mm -hmm. because you might be afraid of something that I'm not. So if we both have different fears, Mm -hmm. it's not the object or the thing that's scary, it's our relation to that thing. Right, Wow, that's very well said. That makes a ton of sense. And I remember that clear as day that day and that moment, and I was so excited jumping across. It's amazing how fast that anxiety can turn into excitement. I love that you said that because I even did a call with um, a lady and she was telling me, or I was kind of expressing to her 
that when I was younger, I didn't realize that I was an anxious kid. It's, I just thought it was like, I was a perfectionist. That's just how it was. I wanted to be the best at everything I did. And that caused anxiety. But she's like, for you, what she was kind of like feeling in that moment was it was more excitement. There's so much excitement that you have about the future, which is really cool. Um, so I think that's another quick way of, of switching it. And again, anxiety is complex. It's different person to person. There's different chemical reactions that are going on within our body that makes you feel anxious to what makes me feel anxious and how we can work through that. Um, so you mentioned inflammations. So going back to like, if you were to party or if you were to have a cheat meal or if you were to drink too much or something, yeah. then the next day there's a common uh, phrase like the booze blues where you just feel down after you consume too much alcohol. So is obviously that's because A, you poisoned your body and that's the cells telling you this. But in addition, let's just say inflammation in general. So people who are more inflamed, are they more susceptible to experience anxiety? Oh, I would absolutely say 100%. Because if we have that chronic inflammation, then we have stagnancy. Stagnancy attracts other parasites, bacteria, fungus, not the good ones, the bad ones. And then they create waste. So it just, it adds more garbage into the body that the liver then has to deal with. And that's why you get the booze blues, because now you've just overloaded your liver. You've asked it to do far more work than it would normally have to mm. do. Same thing as eating garbage food. I mean, the liver has to deal with everything. Totally. Same thing as putting on negative products on your body. You know, I, I think all the time for people that have to work, say, in a dry cleaners where there's chemicals all the time or mm. where there's been asbestos. Um, you know, like all of those things the body absorbs and then the liver has to deal with that. So then if you're already in a toxic environment and then you add more like a crazy weekend of partying, like, yeah, your liver's going to say like, what have you just done to me? Like, mm -hmm. I'm exhausted. You're making me work too hard. And it gets depressed mm -hmm. because it's literally slowing down. That's really what depression is, is slowing down. So when it can't do its job with ease, we're going to feel it. And right. if the liver is backed up and toxic, again, that's going to directly impact the brain because of that inflammation. And with the pain too, you're not going to be breathing as freely and as openly because it's pain, pain, fear, and stress. We reactively hold the breath, even if we're conscious breathers. And I was really aware of that after I got the diagnosis for my mom. Um, before she died, when we were given her, you know, she's maybe got two weeks to live kind of thing. For me, knowing how to breathe diaphragmatically and override those signals I was blown away by how much my body felt so pulled down and so exhausted. And it was like, wow, like I could hardly lift myself up from that space in my abdomen, which is why I created that grief support class, because right. it's a bit of a different approach when we're feeling that vulnerable and that sad inside of us. And we're really, you know, being impacted by what's going on in our external world. Because sometimes even if we are like, you know, as conscious as we possibly can be, Life can be burdensome and it can pile up on us. And then eventually there's so much weight yeah. surrounding us that we just start crumpling in. Mm. But it's temporary. And we also know how to maneuver through it so that we can reset ourselves as quickly as possible. Because we're all going to be flogged by things in life that's going to cause us to inflame, to become anxious, to have pain. But most importantly is having a path to get out of it. Because for us to say like, you know, oh, you're never going to do, you're never going to experience anything negative if you know how to deal with your fascia. That's not true at all. Most importantly is what do you do with your fascia 
when we do experience these negative things because that's what life is all about. Yeah, because I, I find it interesting how I can be working with the block in different areas of the body and experience anxiety relief and I'm not even in the gut. Like I would 100% say that the fastest way for me to calm anxiety is to do the belly position. But you're also targeting the psoas a bit as well. And then they say the psoas is the muscle of the soul that's connected to the diaphragm that's going to help trigger their parasympathetic nervous system as well and the vagus nerve. And that can just cause that tremendous like relaxation, anti-anxiety sensation, which is a godsend. <laughs> like that feels amazing. But um, I even know for my brother, for example, he'll work in the belly position all the time. He's feeling anxious, even when he was in BC. So this was a long time ago when he was I'm at UBCO yeah. uh, for his commerce degree. It's a little bit cloudier there all the time. And that can dampen the mood a lot as well. And they say how sunshine is so amazing at lifting the mood and direct sunlight can help lift the mood. So he had to spend, I think it was like every day he would spend who knows how long. I, I haven't directly talked to him about this, but he would always be on the block in the belly position and that's just what really calmed him down well and just so funny that you mentioned that because i'm literally we're actually being featured in this book that's coming out it's not out yet um the author is richard fluke mm -hmm. and he's uh we, we're connected to do some work together but what's amazing is i was just reading in his book that he mentioned that the mitochondria are most activated through heat and primarily sunshine hmm. so there you go for all of us that are in places where we're not getting enough sunshine or if you're in buildings all the time and you're not outside in nature that's a huge component of understanding you know how to activate your mitochondria because again like they're the powerhouse of every cell mm. so if we're always living in the dark then you know that will be problematic to the energy component of your body yeah that's crazy so what about those we were looking at this the other day um it's like an infrared light mm -hmm. that so can that, I, I didn't do enough research on it, but it's either infrared light or some sort of light that can, I'm not going to say mimic the sun, but what exactly does the infrared lights do? Well, and I haven't looked enough either, but I was um, having a conversation with Kelly Kennedy. So we've gotten some podcasts coming out with Kelly as well as I'm on hers. And it was um, Kelly that shared with me through sauna space. It was one of these photo lights. And she basically said it does mimic what the sun does. Mm. So, I mean, I was really excited because, I mean, again, like when it's minus 35 in Winnipeg, I'm not going to be standing outside absorbing the direct sunlight. So that's a really great option. So we haven't got it yet, but I'm very excited to try and she raved mm. about it. Yeah. And that might help to an extent with anxiety or yeah, I'm even just going to say depression because a lot of people in Winnipeg during winter, we have long winters. Yeah. How long? They're like they six. It could be four to six months sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Like it's it's pretty terrible at times. And, and for those that can't travel. Yeah. Yeah. It exactly. can get overwhelming. Yeah. That's why it's nice to be able to do that and hit up the sunshine and go to Mexico or somewhere for a bit just to kind of like lift everything up. But that, that will be really interesting to try mm -hmm. because I've never given that like a full blown shot before. I've like a bullet. Um, they, they literally call it a bullet infrared therapy light that you can target on a certain area that can help with like cellular repair and whatnot. But I like the idea of this larger one where it just shines on you. Yeah. That will be really cool to try. So we'll have to definitely test that out. 
Another thing with the gut-brain connection too, and we're going to talk more about this in a couple of future episodes because right now we're doing this concussion protocol and understanding how the eyes are really just like, we don't see through the eyes. The eyes are the camera that direct information to mm. the visu um, visual cortex in the brain, at the back of the brain. So what is fascinating is we're going through this protocol right now. We're doing a lot of work in the eyes, around the eyes to free up the adhesions through there because if you think about it, as soon as we fall out of perfect alignment, whether it's from our feet, whether it's from the breath, as soon as we tip over, now the eyes are getting skewed. So the more they get skewed, the more the information coming in through that camera lens is getting mm. skewed and then there's misinformation. Mm. So when the breath is compromised, the alignment of the upper body is compromised, the eyes are. And so it's just fascinating the, the connections that we're making and the results that people are having. And, you know, people are going back when we're doing this work to their injury. And, and for some, it's over 20 mm. years ago. And suddenly they're getting the pains surfacing that occurred in the injury, which for some may sound scary, but to me is extremely exciting because when we have trauma, if we don't release it in the moment, those are the things that are going to add up down the road and become dis-ease. Mm. So when we can release those in the moment, amazing. But for those of us coming into a scenario, whether it's months or years or decades later, if we can actually go back to that initial space in our fascia and pull it out, then we can reset our body even if it was decades ago. And that's the exciting stuff because even though they're feeling these these pains through the action of what we're doing on the eyes, it's only while they're doing it. And then they're having these incredible other changes that are positive. Mm -hmm. Some people's vision is improving. Some people are just feeling calmer in general, like that anxiety piece. A lot of people said when they started to initially put pressure in the eyes, it brought up this anxiety. But as they held, like we do with blocking, mm -hmm. then suddenly that anxiety was dissipating. And one woman even said, as she's smiling now, she can feel the sides of her head lifting with her smile. It's not just coming right just from her face. Mm. So like her whole body is getting pulled into this action of smiling. And so it's, it's truly fascinating. So, I mean, to me, the gut-brain connection is directly related to the breath, but mm. it's also what's going on in between because we have been affected chaotically from that lack of proper breath going forward and then what that does to our fascia so if we're not breathing right you know that's going to affect the oxygen getting to the calves and the feet and of course as they grip then they manipulate so i mean we can talk in circles about it because mm -hmm. every single cell is interconnected through the fascia and so every single cell now becomes part of the gut brain connection that's super interesting and that answers the question that i mentioned earlier i could be blocking the calves and feel anxiety relief and that's because we're so connected and people like to more so pinpoint it on certain things. Like yeah. absolutely the breath would be like the first thing I, I would, or I would say we would recommend, but yeah, it's crazy how just working the entire body, how it can just make you feel immediately better. And that's because you're giving yourselves that, ah, oh, that relief, which communicates to us, ah, oh, that relief. And not to mention, like, let's say you have an injury to your calf. Let's say like somebody cut you. So if that doesn't heal fully and completely from that moment going forward and scarring results, now you have the emotion, the memory, and the pain all sealed in into that space. So it's funny because later today I'm doing a webinar on trauma relief and I saw some of the questions that I was going to be asked and that was one of them. Like, where does anxiety get stored in the body? It's everywhere. Mm. And so 
or or let's say um i mean i i know just as women are far more you know body conscious than men in regard to size and shape if somebody says oh you've got really thick ankles there's going to be anxiety in those ankles because now you're relating mm. something negative about mm. your body in a space so it's fascinating how again like everything is connected but there's inputs throughout the whole body we, we don't just get impacted in one or two areas yeah it's it's everything mm. yeah that's wild so let's just talk about the breath on because there's different ways to breathe, different breathing patterns. We don't necessarily have specific classes on like different breathing patterns. But when we first start, let's say the belly position, we talk about inhaling of six counts, exhaling of four counts. And you can kind of determine those counts. Let's just say the counts are seconds. We usually do the opposite, exhaling for six, inhaling for four. Yes, but when we first start the belly position, we talk about inhaling just to help like activate the diaphragm. Right. Yes. And so people know where the breath has to come from. Exactly. And yeah. then we talk about exhaling six, inhaling four, because yeah. when you exhale longer than you inhale, that's where you can trigger more of the parasympathetic nervous system, which can relax you significantly. But there's also different breathing patterns. Have you heard of like the box breathing pattern? No. So it's inhale of four counts, hold for four counts, exhale of four counts, hold that exhale for four counts. Mm. So that's the box. Inhale okay. four, yeah. hold for four, exhale four, hold for four. And I've heard a lot of people talk about that. If you have trouble sleeping even, mm -hmm. that do, just follow that breathing pattern until you fall asleep. And apparently it works really well. I don't have a lot of issues falling asleep, but that's really cool. Point being is exhaling more than you inhale can help you to really relax and trigger more of that parasympathetic nervous system. It's also, in my view, because as people haven't been breathing right, it's easier, like you, you think of, okay, take a deep breath. People are going to go. Yeah. The exhale needs to happen in order to create space for the inhale. So it's like our bodies are hoarders. We have closets full of garbage and stuff that we haven't looked at mm. our whole lives and they've accumulated and they're accumulating in our cells they're accumulating in the lungs so when we can focus on that exhale as being the more prominent phase we start mobilizing and moving <clears throat> all of that negative stuff out of the body to create the space for the new so i'm, I'm actually going to be moving into a different apartment and and i'm spending friday like diving into mm. i've been there 16 years and as much as it's only a one bedroom apartment i've got stuff that i don't even know what's in those closets totally so i'm actually really excited to pull that out and to get rid of so much stuff but that happens in the body too and we have so much space we're more space than matter but that space gets taken over by the past by the stuff we've brought in and we haven't released we want to pull in what we want, but let go of what doesn't serve us. And most people have hoarded what doesn't serve them. And that's taking away the space for life. Totally. And and I've also heard people who are hoarders, like legitimate hoarders, or people that just have too much clutter going around in their house, that can directly affect how you feel, which I find really interesting because as soon as I started dating Tash, she's way cleaner than I am <laughs> and and cleans up like right away and really likes the cleanliness and the space of a home and it's amazing how much more calm I literally feel when a house isn't cluttered and I'm not saying my apartment 
was really cluttered before we moved into the house. But oh yeah, it, it makes a big difference. Oh, it really does. Um, yeah, that's why I'm super excited about it. I like a clean space, but where I don't have to look, that's where it gets scary. I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember there was a Friends episode because Monica, she was the like perfectionist when it came to everything clean. Mm-hmm. And then she had this one dirty secret. It was this closet that she didn't want people to, to see. So she opens the door and literally stuff starts falling out. And she's like, so ashamed of the right. dark secret of hers, this closet that's storing so much. And two, like she had a lot of interesting um, personality traits that would have been connected to that because mm. they say everything in the universe is a mirror of itself. Mm. So again, if we have, yes, if we're recording something, it's covering up something. It's, I mean, who knows all the psychology around it, but there's definitely correlations. Totally. And touching on the trauma piece here, um, I mentioned this to you I believe a week ago or so, maybe two weeks ago, I was talking with this guy on social media. He happens to have a large following, but he deals a lot with trauma and he does a lot of breath work. He does a lot of ceremonies to help people with their trauma. And I was just mentioning like what we do and how we're a fashion decompression technique, like that's block therapy. And he said, and I mentioned that how we had our trauma relief summit, we have our 90 day trauma relief program. And he's like, well, that makes total sense because trauma is stored in the fascia. So it's cool just to hear him say that and how impactful this has been for us, for our community, people that have been trying this and how they're getting amazing success from doing block therapy, fascia decompression to rid trauma. And that made total sense because if you have, yes, an injury, you cut yourself, you break um, a bone or you have a car, whatever the issue is, those cells experience something. And then if they don't repair or recover properly, the scar tissue is going to trap those cells and the fascia is trapping it as well because the fascia connects all cells in the body together. And now it's locked there. So that's why, and then him mentioning like, hey, trauma is stored in the fascia. When you work, let's say in that injured area could have happened a month ago, a year ago, a decade ago, however long ago, you start opening that up. Of course, you're awakening these cells, you're awakening the fascia that's been locked and frozen, and now you have to deal with it. And that's where those memories and emote, it's just amazing how connected we are. Like it's fascinating. Well, and I love thinking that each of our trillions of cells is like a child because it really is. Each of these cells has an entire life on the surface cell membrane of every single cell, according to Great Braden's work, the God Code, the message God lies within is actually encoded on every one of these cells. So now we have this injury in your calf. You healed with scar tissue. Think of that cell or the grouping of cells as being like your children. So your children go through something and you basically, you know, push them away and you say, you know what? I don't want to deal with you. Um, That's what the scar tissue does is it locks it away. So it's like, you're basically throwing your children away and you're, you're never going to see them again. It's like that closet, that hoarding closet. Yeah. And so, but they're still part of you. So now there is anxiety because these cells are your children and they're saying, well, wait a second. I'm, I'm here for a purpose. I'm supposed to help you in life and do all these functions, but you're ignoring me. You're not giving me what I need. So 
they're anxious. <laughs> they're sad, right? Like they've been disconnected. And I mean, like there's a lot of people too that have dissociative or disorders where like their their brain and their body aren't connected mm. or they might have multiple personalities. I mean, like that would be a fascinating conversation as it relates to fascia. I'd love to actually see bodies and like really get a sense if there's a pattern to people that deal with these kinds of crazy traumas mm -hmm. and you know how that is impacted in what their fascia is showing as a pattern haven't done that yet specifically but you know maybe we'll that, to do that would be that. cool there's so much to explore still so much to and explore to see what fascia compression can really help with but i mean i do agree like if if you know the body is blocked from life those cells are going to well, they're, they're disconnected, but again, that's really where dis-ease down the road can come from, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, mm -hmm. it's all connected. Wow, amazing. One other thing I want to mention, just if we're coming to the end soon, is, um, and if we can show a picture on the video portion of this, that thermography image, how mm -hmm. impactful that was, because again, thermography shows where there's stagnant inflammation in the body through the red and the orange coloring. We want that blue and green, which is more an indicator of proper flow. So with that image, it showed right around the diaphragm was the most um, area of that chronic inflammation. And within two months of blocking, how that pretty much completely cleared out of that space. So crazy. So for people that do have gut issues, um, whether it's leaky mm. gut, irritable bowel, Crohn's, anything going on negatively in the gut, it's going to be impacted by how you breathe. That's a brilliant connection. See that right there, that it's like, I knew this, but it just brought that aha moment again. Makes total sense. Yeah. So looking at that and people who have issues with chronic inflammation, which can be feeding the microbiome in a negative way yeah. and just all of your cells in a negative way, as soon as you start to flush that out and start providing it with what it actually needs, the cells with what it needs oh my God, immediately you'll change. Like you should be feeling significantly better once you start ridding that inflammation from a gut-brain connection. And who knows if that's going to be anxiety relief or if that's going to be a lift of depression or whatever that emotion is. And it's, I, I love that um, because when the inflammation is initially sent to anywhere in the body, it's because the body knows what to do. It sends directed blood flow to a space because repair is necessary. If we don't assist that process, mm. the body keeps sending, keeps sending. But in that is the healing proteins. It's all the potential energy for that healing. So as soon as we can actually heat that area, mm -hmm. turn it on through proper breathing, through activity, through heating up that inflammation, then we turn on those healing proteins. Mm. So we get rid of the garbage piece, but we still utilize what was initially sent in the first place, which is to rebuild that damaged area. So people, and I mean, this is where that whole piece of like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I have a body full of inflammation, but there's massive hope to that because you have a body full of this massive potential to heal. Mm -hmm. And that's the key. So as soon as you turn on that engine, magic happens and things start to change. Yeah, that's fascinating. So with the, we'll say the gut microbiome, because I was doing a little bit of research on this and really what the gut microbiome is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a combination of bacteria, viruses, 
um, what else is stored in the gut microbiome? I don't even know, but it's a bunch of good stuff that's supposed to exist that gets overpowered by the bad. Right. So when it gets overpowered by the bad, they say antibiotics can be one of the things that can destroy your healthy gut microbiome. Yeah. So then they'll say, take probiotics, take prebiotics to feed the probiotics. Fermented foods is another big one. Eat your vegetables, all, all that kind of stuff. And absolutely, like that's going to play a role. But still, if you're not breathing properly and through the diaphragm, we can see literally in those thermography photos how much that changed by decompressing the rib cage, the belly, activating the diaphragm to pump it all out. So I, I believe like, yeah, I like to think that I very clean, very healthy compared to the people I know, I'm I'm that guy. I'm that health nut kind of guy. And I like to try new things and see how it sits and and fits and feels within my body. But if it would be an interesting test to see if I turned my diaphragm off, ate really, really clean and healthy, what I would feel like compared to having more of a relaxed diet, but optimizing the breath, the comparisons. There's so many like cool comparisons you can do. My brain goes to those weird places, but Regardless, the number one thing people can start doing right now is just breathing through the diaphragm. And and, and again, just realizing that, yes, the cleaner, the better we can eat, obviously awesome for you. But again, it's like you can have a car filled up with all of the best fluids. It can be the cleanest, most expensive car in the world. But if you don't turn the gas on or turn the engine on, mm. you're not going to get the fuel pumping to actually make it move. And so that's the thing. That's like the diaphragm. That's the diaphragm. Um, turning on the engine. Turning on the engine. Yeah. Otherwise, we're cold. We're, we're the car sitting outside in minus 35 in Winnipeg, as opposed to it being like heated in a nice space where you just go down, you turn it on, and it's ready to go. Right. Wild. And also just reminding people, too, in order to digest fully and completely, there needs to be that added activity. So it's not just what we eat, it's how we eat. So first of all, the chewing piece. You know, like I always say to people, like when we have like family dinners, like people tend like that's people use time to eat to socialize. And to me, they are two such completely different things. Mm. I really feel eating should be done in silence because you can't talk and chew at the same time. Mm. So for people that are actually social eaters, you're likely doing more talking than chewing. So now you're swallowing food whole. Also, if you're talking, you know, you're not breathing through your nose likely not diaphragmatically breathing because your mouth is open. So we're not getting this wonderful activity of the diaphragm moving up and down to create heat to this digestive process to absorption and to elimination. So again, when we look at a body, it's it's not ever just one thing. It's really our behaviors. It's our habits. It's what's socially normal and acceptable. All of these things have come into play as to why we're a society aging in a negative way compared to what we have the potential to do with aging. Because we put the focus on the wrong parts when if we can just look at this body in a really simple way and understand eating is like fueling your car. So let's just eat. Let's just do it properly. Chew, swallow liquid, heat that organ while you're also eating to get even more energy. Compare that to, you know, eating bites whole and not having that activity. Now you have this undigested food sitting in the gut that the gut's trying to figure out and it expands and then the gut like leaks because you're getting these barriers cracking like it's it's crazy if you really just think about it but people don't tie all these parts together 
Well, and it, in direct relation to the car, when you're fueling your car, your car is off. It has one job. You fill it full of gas and then you turn it on. Awesome. You're not, you're not driving no. and then you're going to be like, okay, let's throw gas in there, hang your hang out the window and somehow fit the nozzle in through your jerry can and fill up the gas tank, you got to stop it and fuel it. So that's a direct relation to how we should be eating. Yeah. We're fueling our body. We're fueling it. So that's and really- I love that. You know what? Like that should actually just be the topic of this blog, fueling your body. Because I mean, it really just puts a different understanding like from eating. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So- just to kind of wrap this up, we talk obviously a lot about oxygen, oxygen absorption. And I do want to just kind of pull in like the Wim Hof, Hof method here again, which is just pretty well aggressive breathing in a short period of time to flood your body with oxygen. So what is the reason why people can feel so good after you, let's say, do 20 to 30 extremely deep full breaths of breathing obnoxiously can help you feel better rid anxiety that's just because we are feeding the body with the number one essential nutrient oxygen yeah. so is that pretty much the main reason behind that you would you would see i would also say because also that deep cleansing like you know if you're if you're exhaling yeah fully, yeah you're, you're moving all that garbage out of the way and then you're pulling the oxygen in to feed what you've now cleaned and the Huberman Lab podcast, I heard him talk about this other breathing technique that can really help calm you down. It's take a full deep breath through the nose. And then when you're at the top, try to pull in an extra little amount of air and then, and then do a slow exhalation. But I should have been more prepped before I said that. But I think he was saying you're inflating like the sacs a little bit more and then you're able to really rid the carbon dioxide out of the lungs. So that's showing how important it is to not only just inhale more oxygen, but you have to exhale the carbon dioxide and the garbage trapped in the lung. So it's a two-way street. You can't just inhale oxygen and think, oh, my anxiety is going to go away or this is going to be fueling my body. You can almost, correct me if I'm well, what's your opinion on this? Can you almost cause, I don't want to say necessarily more harm than good, but some harm by just breathing in too much and not exhaling enough. Yeah, for sure. Because again, it's like overblowing up that balloon. Like you blow it up so many times and then the linings become weak, kind of like a leaky gut. So through that exhale, then we create that vacuum for the inhale. If you're only inhaling and you don't get to that exhale piece, you're missing the mechanical processes that are involved with proper diaphragmatic breathing. Right. And for those who are interested in more of like the gut microbiome, you and I are experts on that. So that's something that you can do in conjunction with what we're talking about because yeah obviously what we eat how we eat is extremely important but i think this alone is something that people can do right now yeah. they can check out a ton of videos just on the belly position that's the first position we always start block therapy off with um, on our youtube channels you can even go to our website get free gifts to start doing this and well and i would actually say that i mean not that I've explored a whole bunch of different breathing techniques. When I was on my yoga retreat, we did some different breathing techniques. And in my opinion, I mean, as long as you are, you know, feeling good with what you're doing, that's great. What makes fascia decompression different is no matter the breathing technique that you choose, you're involving more of the diaphragm than you mm -hmm. would if you weren't doing the fascia decompression. And more cells. Yes. Awesome. Well, and just we want more of that plate because 
if even if I'm like this and I start, you know, breathe like when I went like this for people that can't see, like I'm twisting over, like typically people do when you're right-handed, for example. So even if I'm strengthening what I have, it's not pulling cells equally to both sides of the body. We want, or sorry, oxygen to both sides of the body to feed all of the cells. The more of this muscle we can integrate, the more we can bring every single cell into the body into awareness. Mm. And that's the key. Then that's where that effortless effort comes in because then we're literally holding our bodies up with this beautiful magnetic matrix that we have as opposed to slugging our bodies around, dealing with all the scar tissue, how gravity manipulates that and pulling us down. Awesome. So I think that probably wrap up wraps up this episode. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's, that's a really cool conversation. We can go on and on about it, but yes, first thing to do, I'm sounding like a broken record is start breathing properly, access the diaphragm, not only access, but you got to unlock it to be able to really access it. Yeah. And then fast decompression throughout the entire body is only going to continually complement that and awaken more cells, balloon them, detoxify, balloon them with oxygen, detoxify. And you can get started with that for free. We have so many videos on our YouTube channel and you can check out our website, blocktherapy.com. We have tons of free information and just information in general for people to see. We even have our sampler program for nine bucks, which is nine days, nine different classes that you can do to actually experience this throughout the entire body using a rolled up towel as the tool rather than our block, which is made out, out of either elm or bamboo. And yeah, if you just want to kind of chat with our community, check out Facebook, type in the search bar, block therapy community, request access, you'll be in. And that's just a great place to ask questions and just expand your knowledge. And there's a lot of support in there. So I think that's it. So, all right. Thank you so much for listening. If you are watching and listening on YouTube, make sure you subscribe. We upload a new podcast every week and the topics are fun. They're different, but it's always in relation, of course, to fascia because it's the Fascia Masters podcast. So that's everything. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone.